From the studios of WHUPLP in Hillsborough, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger Lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the wait is up Fight, Welcome to another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio, everyone. I'm very excited about this show. Uh, Bernardo Faria, five-time world champion, open-class world champion, many other competitive honors, one of the great teachers in jiu-jitsu, and uh, somebody who's just an interesting person to talk to is going to join us in the studio for a full hour today. I'm very excited to have Bernardo with us. Before we get to that interview, I just want to remind you all that we're giving out awards, and we're almost there. December 1st is the deadline to nominate for the Dirty White Belt Radio Southeast American Jiu-Jitsu Awards. So if you know of someone who competes from the tip of Washington, D.C. in the north down to the tip of South Carolina in the south, and you, you think that they are one of the best jiu-jitsu practitioners, male or female. You think that they're the most inspirational jiu-jitsu person. You think they had the match of the year. You can go to our website, dirtywhitebelt.com, or our Facebook, facebook.com slash cagesideradio, and nominate people for those awards. After December 1st, we have a distinguished panel of judges that are going to decide who wins our inaugural awards. So please participate, and if you are so moved, you can call and leave us a voicemail on our Google Voice number which we'll post and post in the comments of this show so that your voicemail explaining why you vote for who you vote for could get played on our December 17th edition. With that being said, I'm really excited to welcome Bernardo Faria to the studio. Bernardo is going to be teaching a seminar today at Elevate MMA in Durham, North Carolina. Very excited to take that seminar. Very excited to see what he has to say. And we're excited to spend the hour with you. Welcome to North Carolina. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks. My pleasure. It was a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to talk with you, too. Definitely. So I, my first question is, when, when you started jiu-jitsu, did you have any idea that you were going to become a world champion? No, zero idea. I started in 2001 when I was 14 years old. And the reason was because uh, I, I have two brothers and they are older than me. They are, one is three years older, the other one is six years older than me. And uh, the one who is three years older than me, uh, he, he had a bunch of friends. They would all go to my house and play video game, barbecue, this and that. And they were like 16, 17 years, and I was 14. And they would always end up playing like a fighting, you know, like against each other in the carpet. But just just not not really fighting, just just kidding. And uh, and then there was one small guy who would beat everybody else, you know. And I was like, what's that? And then I realized that he, he was a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, and that's why he was beating everybody else. So then he invited me to start doing jiu-jitsu. He brought me to his school. That was my first teacher that were, where I went from white to black belt. And that's how I started. It was a little bit of Hoysi Grace story, but, uh, but it was not Hoysi Grace. It was my friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a blue belt instead of Hoysi. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> basically the same. Uh, so at what point, you know, you, and you trained in Brazil uh, under your first instructor, got your black belt there. At what point did you start competing? And at what point did you think, hey, I could be really good at this? Yeah, I, I was very lucky about instructors. I think that's very important for someone's journey in jiu-jitsu. So I had a very good first instructor who, who I went from white to black belt with him. 
Then I had Fabio Gurgel. Then I moved to New York City. I had Marcelo, and uh, I never had any problems with any instructors. So, but anyway, with my first instructor, he was very, very good on teaching fundamentals and motivating you to compete, you know. So he felt that I liked to compete, and then he started making schedule for me. Oh, you're gonna do this tournament, this tournament, this tournament, this tournament. And he would go there with me, and if I win, he would keep me in the, he would not let my ego go high. I was like, okay, just one tournament, but now let's try to win the next one. If I lose, he would try to motivate myself. You know, no man, everybody loses, and that's was a great instructor. And I really appreciate him, because he was BTT, but when I got my black belt and finished my college, he was the one who told me to leave his school and go to Fabio-Gorgel's schools in Sao Paulo. So I don't think all instructors will do that. Yeah, that's remarkable. And I think it's wonderful when an instructor really has the student's best interest at heart and says Exactly. Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I, I really respect him and having him almost like a second dad. And you've mentioned that you've had, you know, three really outstanding instructors. And, you know, I'm sure everybody who's listening to this show knows well about Fabio Grigel and, and Marcelo Garcia. So I'm wondering, what do you think the most important thing you learned from each of those instructors was? Is there one insight that really sticks with you that, oh, Marcelo taught me this, that was really important. Fabio taught me this, that was yeah. really important. I think my first instructor was all about, like, uh, the fundamentals of jiu-jitsu and the uh, how to be charismatic as well, you know, because if you're if you're not a good person, if you're not charismatic, the journey is not going to be fun, you know. So he was all about that. He's that type of guy that everybody loves him. Nobody does, doesn't like him. Then Fabio Gugiel was was like how to go to the next level, you know. Like uh, he's very like a tough instructor. I, I, I mean, tough instructor on that way that. Uh, He's gonna push the training very hard, and he's gonna have a—he's gonna make you have a very mental strong, and this and that. And uh, I, from Marcelo, I got a lot about confidence. You know, he's super confident. You know, like super, super confident. So I got to pick one thing from each one, and. Uh, Make my bird harder. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and you had some great resources to draw on. Yeah. And, and so I want to follow up on that, on some of those questions about, you know, learning. Because obviously, with training under Alliance and being a part of that team and being a part of those two amazing schools, you must have had some amazing training partners. You mentioned a few yesterday that you trained with Bruno Malfacini. And you, I'm wondering what training partners do you think have helped you the most and, and in what way? Are there particular guys that stand out? Yeah, this is one thing that helped me a lot when I moved to Sao Paulo because when I was in my hometown, I was doing well. I won the World's Open class as a purple belt. I got second awards as a brown belt. And I think I already had that level, but I would not believe in myself too much. So once I moved to Sao Paulo and I started training for all the guys who already did win the words as a black belt, my confidence went way higher. And I was like, man, wait a second, this guy won the words as a black belt. I'm training back and forth with him. I can do that too, you know. Like, So that was a huge step when I moved to Sao Paulo. And I can't say like one guy, but there were a lot like that. I remember, like, when I just moved to Sao Paulo, my first training, I rode with Sergio Moraes, who had win the words one day before, beating Cron Cron Grace and this and that. So, in the first day, I trained with Sergio Moraes, Leonardo Nogueira, uh, Antonio Peinado, that's a very tough guy, Dimitri Souza. So, in the first day, you know, so that, that made me a huge difference, you know. Mm -hmm. 
As a smaller guy, I have to ask this question too. I think one of the most, the guys that is one of the best of all time, but is also weirdly one of the most underrated is Bruno Malfasini. And like, Man, I tell it to everyone, like, in my opinion, he's the best jiu jitsu fighter ever. Wow. It's like, uh, it's unbelievable. If you, if you roll with him or if you see a trainer or this and that, it's unbelievable. Like, it's, it's another level, like, of, uh, of toughness, you know? And, uh, but I agree, his division, it's a little bit more, like, uh, undervalued than the other divisions. People don't get, give too much value. But I think that's changing lately. Like, mm-hmm. after his challenges with Caio Terra, with João Miao, I think nowadays, even his division, everybody's watching him. I remember, like, this year in the words, like, when Mosquinha against Caeterra, the entire arena is stopping, and, oh, my God, Bruno against Caeterra. And uh, so I think this is changing, you know, because mm-hmm. then, because him, because Caio, because Romeo, because all the guys from his division, you know. Like. Yeah, and those guys put on incredibly entertaining matches, all of them, really, yeah. really fun to watch. So I'm wondering, obviously, you're an extremely accomplished competitor, and I want to talk to you about your own competition, but as someone that loves jiu-jitsu, are there favorite guys that you have to watch that you're just like, oh, you know, Crone is rolling, I got to watch that guy, or Bouchesha, you know, or some, somebody like that? Who do, who do, you, who do you think is the most fun to watch? There are a lot of them. It's hard to say, like, one guy. I like watching Bushisha because he, he goes for, like, all or nothing, you know, and many times he does that. It's very cool. And I love watching Bruno. I love watching Lucas Lepre. Mm. I love watching who else? Like, uh, man, there are a lot of guys. Like, uh, there are a lot of people. Like, it's hard to say, like, one name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh, so in terms of your own competition, though, like, I think most people know you from the techniques that you do successfully, from, from your winning the Worlds, winning Open Class, beating all these all these huge guys. And people know you from the deep half guard. People know you from the Omoplata. And so I'm curious because when you're competing, you have this defined set of techniques that's like everybody knows what you're going to do. They just can't stop it. And so I'm curious, when you train in the gym, do you train like that? Do you train primarily your A-game competition techniques? Or do, or, or do you play around more? Do you put yourself Normally in the Normally what form? I do is, like, uh, when I roll with the guys that are, like, my level, like, black belt, versus, for example, when I was at Marcelo's, when I would roll with, like, John Satava, Matheus, uh, Marcos, Marcelo, I would do my A game. So I would do exactly what I do in the tournament, you know. But but always taking a little more risks as well than tournaments. But then when I roll with one blue belt, one purple belt, then I try to change. I try to play lasso guard. I try to do the birimbolo. Just to understand the, the jiu-jitsu in general, you know. So, so that's kind of my rule. When the guy is very tough, I do my A game in training, right? Mm-hmm. And then when the guy is, like, lower belt, this and that, then I try to do everything. Just to make sure, like, because I'm not a birimbolo guy, but I understand. I want to understand how the birimbolo works. You know, even even though like if one of my students want to do birimbolo, I want to help him. So, mm-hmm. so that's the goal. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. And I can see how that would really help you as a teacher and as an instructor. And we'll talk about the school that you're going to open in Boston soon. But I want to talk a little bit about the seminar today that we're going to go to, uh, and just about your teaching approach. Because obviously, you know, you haven't been here to North Carolina before. I don't think. I've been in Charlotte, in not Charlotte. in Highland and Durham. Yeah, no, yeah. so, well, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> but also, it has to, is it different for you to go into an area where you don't really know people? And, like, how do you approach teaching a seminar differently than you approach teaching, like, regular classes at a gym where you know the guys? Uh, I have been doing a lot of seminars, so I'm kind of used it. And uh, in Sao Paulo, there was a lot of visitors. In New York City, there was a lot of visitors. 
So I'm kind of used about dealing with these people that I, I don't know. But in the end of the day, jiu-jitsu is a very small community. And every time I see a jiu-jitsu guy, even if I've never seen him before, I have some feeling that I know that guy, you know. It's, it's, I think it's because it's a very tight sport and everybody knows each other. So I'm sure you know a bunch of people that it's friends in common with me. So uh, it's really like a little bit of family environment, you know. Like uh, I, I see and I, I feel like, oh, man, I know this guy, you know. Like, yeah. you know it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It a, makes perfect sense. And in yeah. fact, you know, you and I were talking a little bit off the air last night about how, like, jiu-jitsu is a small community and it's kind of a niche yeah, activity. You know, yeah, But the people that get into it really are crazy fanatic. You know, <laughs> you see their Facebook page, they, they, the profile, they have a gi on. They're very, very fanatics. So, so every time I, I really enjoy doing seminars because uh, – I meet great people. It's always like a good talking and this and that. What What do you think it is about jujitsu that inspires this kind of fanatical devotion? Like, why do people? What, what, why do you love it, and why do you think other people love it so intensely? Man, I think it's like uh, jujitsu. It goes like really inside your brain, you know, because it, it's the time of your day. That's a mixing of you are trying to survive, right? But in the same time, you were making friends. In the same time, you were doing one sport. In the same time, you were having fun. So I think it's a lot of feelings in the in this in that one hour of training. You know, like you are learning, you are competing, you are you are having fun, you are making friends, you are surviving, you are hunting. You know? <laughs> like it's so weird. It's very cool. Like uh, I really suggest everyone doing jujitsu, like uh, because. Yeah, I think it's a very good therapy for everybody. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It saved me a lot of money on therapy bills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas is coming, and it's time to get gifts for the grappler in your life. Every year at DirtyWhiteBelt.com on the blog, we have a grappler's gift guide, and we want your suggestions. So be sure and tell us what you want for Christmas. But I'll tell you, on ToroBJJ.com right now, I see a bunch of things that would be really useful, including a Toro BJJ dress belt, a brand new Toro gi, or some of the sweet rash guards you can get from the best people with the best customer service around. Stop online at torobjj.com and be sure to watch dirtywhitebelt.com for our grapplers gift guide this year. So what about, so, you know, I'm glad that you suggest everybody do jujitsu. And I like, you know, I always tell my friends, everybody, I think, should try it at least once. You know, I I don't think it's for everybody, just like making art, painting isn't for everybody. But you don't really know until you you try it. So I have a question. A lot of our audiences, a lot of our audience are people who have tried jujitsu, have been training for a couple years. Maybe they're blue belts. And so they're not like brand new guys. But I'm wondering what advice you would have for those folks that are like, okay, I've, I feel like I've got some of the fundamentals under my belt, but I want to get to that next level. What kind of advice would you give to them that they're that are trying to learn jujitsu uh, and and progress as much as they possibly can? Um, I think like uh, jujitsu is a very fair sport, you know, very honest sport. Like if you're training, you're gonna get better. If you're not training, you're not gonna get better. It's pretty much like that. So. I, I would suggest training like as much as you can. Doesn't mean like training three times per day. I understand maybe you have family, you have a job, you have this, you have that. But if you can train two times per week, try to train three. You know, like if you can train three, try to train four. But always try to push a little more than you can. And uh, I think that's the best way to get better in jiu-jitsu. Because as much as you do, 
better you get, you get better you understand. Like everything in life, right? Like uh, if you're studying to become a doctor, as much as you study, as much as you practice, probably better doctor you'll be, and uh, and uh, that's how jujitsu works. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, speaking of teaching and improving in, at jujitsu, you, you're in Boston now. Um, yep. And so you have a school that will be opening soon, and it's kind of a different kind of school. And I'm wondering, it is. Yeah. yeah. So could you tell us a little about it? Yeah, man, I moved to Boston in June of this year, but since like December, January, from 2016, 2017, then I was trying to find a place to open a school, this and that. And it was really hard to find a place in Boston area because uh, the real estate over there is unbelievably expensive and uh, it's hard to find a location that's actually like open and you can make a martial arts school. We, we actually found some place, but then, oh, can you make a martial arts school over here? Mm, not martial arts school. I was like, okay. So I found one house that's uh, that was a dance studio that's in Bedford. That's very well located. Like there's a huge parking lot. It's like walking distance to Whole Foods and the Starbucks and all these good shoppings. And... Uh, so when I found that house, I was like, man, that's a good place, you know. But uh, it's a very delayed because uh, as it's a house and uh, as it's a historic city, like uh, Bedford's historic city, to apply to all permits and the historical commission takes time, you know. So I'm hoping to get it open by January. And uh, it's going to be a very fun place because uh, it's not big. So it's I'm going to have three mad areas, but... One of 800 square foot, the other one of 520, and the other one only for privates. Mm. So, and that's exactly how I kind of wanted, you know, because I'm, I'm doing a lot of other projects online. So I didn't want to build that huge school that I, I would barely know each student. So I would rather have something small, like a family, as we were talking here before, that maybe I can have 100, 150, 200 students, and then I know everybody, I know everybody by his name. And uh, so I like the place a lot, and right? I can't wait to open it. And uh, it's it's very cool. It's different. Right? It's one house. The downstairs is gonna be the big mat, big mat area. Upstairs, the other mat area, one mat area only for privates. And uh, I'm excited. Let's see how it's gonna go. Yeah, and I'm excited too. Like I think it's a really cool idea to open it in a house. And like folks that are interested, you have a video online of the house where you show the house. And I, yeah. I think it looks like a cool place to train. And I'm sure a bunch of people in the Boston area are really excited to get up and train. Yeah, with a you. lot of people are asking me if I'm leaving the house. No, I'm not leaving because there's no uh, the, the entire house is is good. There's no way to leave there. So, <laughs> but it's a house. Yeah. So another th- another reason that you're in Boston, you know, I, I I didn't actually know this, but you're involved with BJJ Super Deals. Uh, yeah, I'm very involved with BJJ Super Deals and BJJ Fanatics. We both found me and my par- business partner. We both found these two websites that are growing a lot, and that was the reason that I moved there because my business partner lives there in the area. And then I was like, man, if I make this jiu-jitsu school here, my life is gonna be much easier right? because everything is gonna be here. Because before I had to go to Boston back and forth 100 times, you know, like, and that was stuff. So now I live there, Jiu-Jitsu school is going to be there, the office is there, everything is there, the studio is there. Yep. That's exciting stuff. And, and you know, so you're not only, you, you have, you distribute Jiu-Jitsu content and instructionals through that, but you also have a new instructional out of your own that's an Omoplata DVD. Yeah, I just launched the Omoplata DVD this week. And uh, we call it DVD, but it's DVD and it's also on demand for who doesn't have DVD players anymore. And uh, I love Omoplata. I mean, like, uh, I love it. It's probably, like, my favorite submission. 
And it's the type of game that if the half guard doesn't work, I have the omoplata, you know. And it's saving my life a couple of times. Like one time in the finals of the Panem's Open Class 2010, my first Open Class title, I was losing the entire match and then 50 seconds left, I hit the omoplata and I won. So it's I love it. It's one of my favorite positions. And that is cool because I launch all my videos on my websites and uh, they're growing a lot. And we always do our best to have a great customer service that for for me, this is the most important, I'll make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. our rule over there is like, make the customer happy. And that's how we tell uh, our customer service people there. Well, g- given that I, l- I learned some almost plot of details from you yesterday, I can guarantee you that if you learn some of these details, you will you will be happy. So, <laughs> so I'm pretty excited. Go. Oh, of course. And so that's a four DVD set for people that have DVDs, but people can also, if they don't have a DVD player, yeah, they can also get on. Them. Yeah. And very soon I'm launching a membership site as well, where I'm having like every guest you can imagine. And... Uh, Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be another cool project too. That's awesome because like one one thing I noticed, like, you know, having followed you on your website BernardoFaria.com, is you have a lot of guest videos where you teach techniques or you people that you've trained with that are also outstanding instructors will show techniques. And so, do you have some names for folks that like that you that they could expect to teach guest techniques? Yeah, just uh, this week we shoot a uh, get a guest video with uh, Craig Jones. Yeah, we did like almost one hour with him oh, wow. for the membership that I'm going to launch soon. And uh, two weeks ago, we did with Neil Malanso, that's one of the best MMA coaches. And uh, I have done with Dean Lister oh, wow. for almost one hour too. So on my YouTube, I do one technique. With, uh, with everywhere I go, I always try to highlight the people. Many times I see like great instructors, especially when I'm doing seminars, right? I meet a lot of guys. They're great instructors, and nobody knows them, you know. Like so, uh, that's my YouTube goal: is to highlight everybody, you know, from the most famous guy to the black belt that nobody knows. And on my membership side that I'm building soon, that I'm launching soon, I'm gonna. It's not gonna be a five minutes video; it's gonna be a one hour video. So like ten techniques or this and that. So it's. I hope to be like the biggest library of Jiu-Jitsu. That's great. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, like a lot of people will know Craig Jones from his outstanding performance at ADCC recently where he really had an, a tremendous performance. But I also love the idea of highlighting guys that people don't really know about but that are great instructors. Yeah, and uh, I, I've, we can't have an idea how many, like, awesome techniques I find during the seminars now because I ask the teachers to show me something. And many times they show me something that I never saw before and, and it actually works. I go home and I try. And I was like, man, that's a great one, you know. So... Everybody should see that, not only me. So that's the goal of my YouTube channel and the membership site that I'm bringing. So that's exciting stuff, and we'll have to we'll post the link when that membership site goes live. Hey, Jeff. Yes, Betsy. I was just thinking about my first tournament with U.S. Grappling in Charlotte. What a great experience that was! And I wanted to ask you what you think makes a terrific first tournament. I think it's important to compete locally first. Because that way you're surrounded by your friends, by your teammates, by other folks in the community that you know. Competing can be a stressful experience, and sometimes it can be a lonely experience, especially if you've traveled to a city you've never been in and don't have your friends around you. But that's not what U.S. Grappling is like. U.S. Grappling has high-level competition, so you can definitely get a challenge, but it's also a supportive environment, and it's always the first tournament that I recommend people to start with. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, and thank all of you for supporting the folks who support us.
you know, what, you mentioned that you have a real fondness for the Omoplata, and that's probably, you know, what led you to make this DVD uh, or this, this instructional series, this video series. How did the idea come from? Did somebody propose the idea to you and say, hey, Bernardo, you have a lot of Omoplata details to show, or did you, uh, did you come up with the idea on your own? How, where did that come from? When I was brown belt, we actually, I used that, I sent this to my email list this week, like <laughs> coincidence here. So when I was Brownville, I went to compete one tournament, and then a friend of mine stayed on my apartment, and he lived in another city. It's called Andre Freitas. He, he teaches in California. He's from a little town in Brazil called Araruama. And uh, then this guy was a very tough Brownville, too. I think I was purple and he was Brownville or something like that. Or, or I was Brownville and he was black belt. And then he told him, Bernard, why don't you do Omoplata, man? Omoplata is so easy. You just got to grab this leaf, grab the opponent's leg, and that's it. I was like, man, it cannot be that easy, you know? Like, and then he showed me how to do it. I was like, man, that seems easy, you know? Like, but I never thought it was easy. So then I went home, and when I went home, I went with that in mind. And I was like, man, it's easy. Omoplata is easy. And uh, then I think because I thought that it was easy, 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 I started doing And then I was like, man, that's actually easy, you know? Like... But uh, and then I started doing and doing and doing and doing and doing. I would pull everybody to the close guard, go to the omoplata. If the omoplata doesn't work from close guard, I would go to the deep halfway. Mm. And uh, then I started doing that over and over and over, and became one of my favorite positions. You know, but in tournaments I don't do as much because normally I pull straight to the halfway, and omoplata from halfway, especially from single leg halfway, there is no omoplata from there. So and I trust a lot in the single halfway, but. If for some reason my halfway doesn't work, it's always double platter. I always go for double platter. So when you see other jiu-jitsu practitioners training or competing, and like you travel around a lot, you see a lot of guys. What's the most common mistake you see either people in, with the omoplata in terms of thinking about it? When I do the omoplata, my goal is to get a submission, not a sweep. So I focus on the control to not let the guy escape. Most of the times I see people doing the omoplata, they want to rush to get a sweep, and then they are f- far away from the submission. So when I get the omoplata, I just keep my peace. I control the guy. I don't let him roll. I even brief and rest that he'll be there, and then I go for the submission. Yeah, and that makes sense. You know, what, what a lot of instructors that I see teach the omoplata as like, and you're probably not going to submit the guy. You're probably just going to get the sweep here. But, you know, as you say, you know, if, you, if you're able to control the guy there and are patient, it seems like the, it's a very powerful submission. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's the goal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you mentioned that, you know, obviously people know you primarily as a deep half person, uh, you know, and, and you can do that and you have the omoplata. I'm wondering, like, you know, you mentioned like, so plan A, pull deep half guard, implement your game, maybe over under pass. You've had matches against some of the toughest people in the world. And so I'm curious about, do you have ma- memories of some of the tough, like what is the toughest match you can remember that you wound up coming back to win? You have, like, that I end up winning? Yeah, the toughest match you wound up winning. Well, yeah, the, the, this match that uh, that I actually sent to my list, I talked with my email list this week about that, that I used the Omoplata, I think was my most, one of the most memorable match I ever had. Like, was the Pan Am's Open Class, the finals, against one guy called Braga Neto, who is very tough, you know, super, like, tough guy. And then he had beat me, like, two or three times before that match. And then uh, I was already like, man, it's going to happen. You know, it's the finals. This guy beat me two or three times. How am I going to win? And then I was playing halfway the entire match. And he trains. He used to train Brazil with Gordo, the guy who invented halfway. So he knows how to defend it very well. 
So I, finals of the open class, Blackville, last match of the tournament, everybody there, that expectation. And then I was doing half guard, half guard, half guard. I was shooting down my half guard the entire match. And then one minute left, we run away from the mat, and the match restarted standing. And then I fought with myself. I was like, man, I have one more shot. <laughs> it's double blood. So I jumped into the close guard, hit the blood. I was losing by two advantage or so. So I got the blood on that stage that I, I fought would break his shoulder. You know? I was like, I mean, he would not tap because it was like 20 seconds left at that time. And then 20 seconds left, Delma Plata was there. He was not tapping. I was like, man, I'm going to lose. Then I left Delma Plata and ran to his back. So because I was on borrow doing guard and I ended up in the turtle on top, mm-hmm. I got two points from the sweep and I won like with seven seconds left. And I was the Pan Am's Open Class champion for the first time, 2010. It was like, it was one of the best moments in my career, you know, like... Uh, it's for sure the top three or top five moments of my career. Yeah, that's an amazing moment. And that follows up with a question I, I wanted to ask you anyway, which is of all the honors you've won, you know, you've won, you know, the Europeans, the Pans, the Worlds, obviously. Is there one honor that stands out that you're most proud of competition-wise? There are like three or five things that I did in my career that I'm very, very proud of. Like the double gold in the words, because this is the dream of every Jiu-Jitsu fighter in the planet. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's the hardest thing to do in jiu-jitsu, swing the words double gold. Mm-hmm. It's it's that type of thing that uh, if there are like one million competitors in jiu-jitsu, 10 will win that in, in the, you know, like I think so far 12 or 13 people has won. How many people has done jiu-jitsu before? So this is, makes me super happy. And uh, I, I never... I didn't break many records in jiu-jitsu, but I, bro- I broke one at least. Like, I'm the first guy to win the Pan Am's Open class three times. So this is something that I, I carry very happy to. And, uh, and the fact that I won the Purple Belt Words Open class living in my hometown, mm. it's something because uh, when I lived in my hometown, I was the first one to win the Words on any belt. Like, as a Purple Belt, I was the first one to win the Words any belt. And I didn't have many tough training partners, you know, so I was probably, like, the majority of the guys here in U.S., you know, like, you live in a small city, you don't have, like, the world champions to train with, and you went there and you won the world's open classes of Purple Bowl, so I know how hard it is, you know. When you are training, like, in Sao Paulo at Alliance, or maybe, like, in San Diego with Andre Galvão, or with Men's Brothers of Marcelo Garcia, or if, it, you know, mm-hmm. or if it, if Checkmat, if Bouchesh and all these guys... To win these tournaments is one thing, but when you are training on your hometown, your teacher never had any world champion, so you do, you guys don't even know what's the way to be the world champion, and you do it. I carry that as like one of the biggest prouds of my life. You know, like I was in my hometown, I was the first guy on my hometown to win the words, and I won the open classes of purple. Belt. So that makes me very very happy. And uh, I'm sure for my teacher it was like one of the best moments in his life as well. I'm sure. And like, and you know, what you say, I think probably resonates with everybody who's listening to this that lives in a rural area because common, exactly. right? Like you know, a common question we get is, you know, how do you make that, you know, if you are the best guy in that gym, how do you continue yeah, to get better? I remember that was uh, when I was in my home. So was a weird feeling because me and my teacher, we didn't know what was the path to win the words on any belt, you know. We had to find out using myself as an experiment, you know. Like, let's try on you. Mm-hmm. Let's see what you can do here. 
Mm-hmm. Did your was your first instructor the person that 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 um, taught you deep half guard, or did you learn it on your own? Or my first instructor, he was that type of guy that he would play Spider Guard and De La Riva, but he would teach every single position, even if he's not specialist on that position. That's how I, I like to be as a teacher nowadays. So like, uh, my thing is half guard over under this and that, Oma Plata, but I like to teach Spider Guard, beating Bolo. 50-50, lasso guard. I like to try to teach everything. I'm not the best on these other positions, but at least the basics I can teach. And then if the student like it, he can watch videos online, he can and develop the position. So he would not do half guard, but he knew how to teach half guard. So he, told, he taught me the single leg half guard. He, he went over like some deep half guard with me, and then I liked it, and then I started building my game but he taught me the fundamentals of the half guard. Doesn't it make sense? Absolutely. And so I think it's a great way to be an instructor like that. You know, like many times I see instructors that they only teach their game. But sometimes that game is not going to fit for your genetic. You know, like let's imagine like my instructor only teaches Spider Guard. I can't do Spider Guard. You know, like so. Uh, I got to learn other stuff too. And I, I want to learn from my teacher. I don't want to learn online. You know, so it doesn't make sense. Mm hmm. So I think it's important to teach everything. Yeah, it's funny how sometimes you will gravitate to a position that makes sense to you and like, oh, I really like that or I'm really good at that. I have some success with that, even if it's not something that your instructor specializes in. And so do you think there are things about like, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but why did Deep Half Guard appeal to you as a young person? Was it just something that made sense to you? Or Man, like, I started doing single leg half wear from initial. I would pull everybody to the initials and go to the single leg half wear. Then single leg half wear stopped working, right? Because I only had that thing. You know? So everybody knew about it and they would block it. So it was like a natural thing. I mean, like if the single leg half wear doesn't work, I'm going to try to go underneath my opponent. And underneath was the deep half wear. That lapel sweep, I, I don't know if I can take the credit that I invented that. But I made that on my way. I remember in one tournament, I saw someone grabbing the lapel somewhere in the deep half wheel. But it was not exactly as I do. But then I was with that in mind. And I was like, man, I can grab the lapel somehow over there. And then I started building th- that type of the the, the Fergus sweep from the deep half wheel. And uh, yeah, so that's how I, I learned it. Here are three amazing things that you can buy on the cagesidecom website right now. First, the Toro BJJ Coffee and Chokes Rash Guard. As someone that trains in the morning, having this rash guard for the low, low price of $29 would be super useful. Second, and this is on clearance right now, the Cageside MMA Black Beanie that'll keep your ears warm in the coming winter and keep you looking fresh at local fights and jiu-jitsu competitions. Third, the cage side tank Muay Thai shin pads. I don't train striking anymore, but if I did, I know that leg kicks are terrible, and so having those will really help. In fact, with all the strikers I know, I'm thinking of just walking around in these shin pads. All these products and more at cageside.com. So I'm curious about training for competition. Uh, you know, you mentioned that Fabio Jugel, like was very much in the challenge you, push you. Do you have memories of a particularly tough day of training or an example of like, oh, he made us do this and it was really tough? And like, uh, and like, Man, how- one thing that's very fun. Uh, actually, he told me now not he changed it, but when I was there in the competition class, he would not turn on the AC. <laughs> that was a big one. So in Sao Paulo, it could get very hot, you know, and, uh, and he had the AC and he would not turn on. In the competition class, so I would, like all the other class, commercial classes, and that he would turn on. And, uh, 
most of the days there was no time for water. I mean, like once we started sparring, no water. Don't don't drink water. Can't drink water. And uh, he would make the warm-ups very tough. And I hate warm-ups. <laughs> I, I like to save all my energy for the sparring. And then in the sparring, I have no ego. I go as hard as I can with everybody until I die, you know, until I tap to a purple belt. That's how I like to train. So, so I hate warm-ups. And then the warm-up, he would do it very hard. And nobody could go easier, you know. Nobody could cheat in the warm-up, you know. He would push everybody. Let's go, let's go, let's go. So man, it was tough, you know. And he was he was that type. He was the general, you know, exactly like. But not general in that way. That uh, he's polite with everybody. Super nice guy. Super friendly, you know. But when it's time to train, if you want to do that for a living, if you are a competitor, he's gonna push you crazy hard, and he doesn't care if you like it or not. But uh, but he's not like that with all the students. If you if you do that for a com- if you do jiu-jitsu for hobby, then it's completely different. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, but if you do that for a living, it's gonna go hard. <laughs> I think I think some of the best guys are nice guys who are also really tough guys. <laughs> are, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so would that would that be a typical day of competition training and uh, at at Fabio's place? And if so, how does that compare to a typical day of competition training at Marcelo's place? No, Marcelo came from Fabio, right? So mm. it's it's pretty much the the same class, like. Uh, a little bit of warm-up, two or three techniques, and sparrings. Mm-hmm. You know, so... And uh, so it's pretty much the same thing, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that when I was in Sao Paulo, Fabio was training. He, when I got there, I think he was 39 years old, and he would train for us every day. And then when I moved to New York, Marcelo would train for us every day. So it's always good to have, like, the, the leader training with you as well, you know, like... That helps. I understand that many times that's not possible. You know, for example, after one or two years, Marcel had babies, and then his life changed, and then he he would still train for us every day. That's amazing. But of course, one day or other, he would skip. So what I mean, like, I understand that life sometimes sure. gets you more, and then you... But uh, what was amazing that we could I could have Fabio training, and then I went to New York, I had Marcel training. I don't know if five years from now or 10 years from now, Marcel is going to be able to train every day on this that level. And uh, I know that Fabio already pushed the break a little bit. Now he, he 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 gave like the competition class more to Michael Lang, and he goes there once or twice a week. So I'm very thankful that when I was there, I had that opportunity. You know, like. Definitely, man. What a, what an amazing uh, training experience and a jiu-jitsu memory. Did you get to train with Michael Lange much? A lot. Oh. A lot. One of the best fighter girls ever. So unbelievable. Like. Yeah, he's. I, I love his on-demand stuff, like his Spider Guard, Reverse De La Hiva stuff. It's awesome. Like he's awesome. Yeah, is is he a really is he as good an instructor as he is a competitor? You think? He's, <laughs> he's really good. Even better than instructor. No, he's great, great, great. I mean, like he's that guy that he's completely. He's great on buff. He's awesome instructor, awesome competitor. Mm-hmm. And I mean, those are sometimes two different skills. And so transitioning, you know, we've talked a lot about your competition and a little bit about your teaching, but. I know that you're kind of, you know. Do you think you're? Do you think you're done competing, or do you think are we still going to see you at super fights? I don't want to say that I'm one thousand percent done, but I think I am because uh, now my fire is to teach jujitsu, you know, like uh, and uh, online, and I have all these online projects, I'm viewing all these DVDs, and I'm also open to school. But to compete, I don't have that fire anymore, you know, like and. Uh, and I haven't been doing in this level since I was 14 years old. So all the sacrifice that uh, 
nowadays I enjoy having a regular, a normal life. You know, I can eat wherever I want. Also, now I can drink a beer. This and that. I, I enjoy that. You know, I enjoy like living life too. So nowadays I'm gonna focus more on teaching and spreading the jiu-jitsu, like traveling, make seminars, and uh, and doing all these online projects too. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, is where I'm very excited about it. And uh, I'm that type of guy that, or I'm gonna do something 100%, or I'd rather not doing it. So I think competitions I'm done. But uh, but I don't want to retire like 10 times, you know, so <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say I'm retired and then one year from now. So I'm, I, I prefer like let, let life goes. Maybe next year if I feel the desire to do it, I train very hard again and I do it. But I, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to go where your passion is. And if your passion becomes like, hey, I'm really excited about teaching jujitsu, about experimenting with these online platforms, stuff like that. It's important to do that as well. And so I guess what what does excite you about spreading jujitsu both from a school perspective and from an online perspective? And are those different types of satisfaction, the in-person teaching versus the online teaching? I think both is amazing. You know, both there are great feedback. You know, when, we, when you're teaching jujitsu alive and uh, you do a good job, you, you can see like in the students' eyes, like, man, that was a great class. And that means a lot, you know. And same thing online, you know, many times I receive emails, I receive messages that sometimes I cannot even reply off the end, guys. If you have ever wrote to me and I didn't reply, that's why, but I hope I met you in person one day. But uh, you get that feedback as well. People write to you, you know, like, man, you're changing my game. I started doing this. They send me videos. Oh, I did this sweep in the storm exactly as I saw on your DVD and this and that. That's amazing, you know, like, that. that that's a, That's amazing. And then you see the numbers of people who are watching your videos grow. I always check the numbers, you know, and, and then, oh, man, I'm doing a good job here. You know, like, let, let me keep going. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoy a lot, like, uh, spreading the jiu-jitsu, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the things that, that I note from talking to you is that, you know, you're interested in teaching your jiu-jitsu, but also in sort of spreading the jiu-jitsu that other people are able to mm-hmm. teach, too. And I know through BJJ Super Deals, BJJ Fanatics, and through your own website where you uh, and your YouTube channel where yeah. you're like other guys, uh, wh- who are some of the, the names, like, who are some of the people that produce the videos that people enjoy the most, that are the most popular? Who are some of the instruct- in the instructionals that you think are the best that you all have put out? Okay. One of our best setter videos was Tony Blast. Mm. And uh, I think he does a great job on social media, you know, like, uh, he, he has a great jiu-jitsu, and uh, he's a great person, and uh, he knows how to motivate everyone and send good messages online you know like to to people so i think he he's very good on that and then when you help people people help you you know so he his videos sold a lot a lot a lot and the uh, dean listers was a very good seller too i think because uh, the, all these food lock games people want to learn it you know and uh, he's one of the first guys who proved that 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 game works you know because I always check results, you know, like uh, if someone says, oh, I do this and that, I want to see the result. And Dean Lister made it, you know, like he was one of probably one of the first Americans, already the first American to win the ADCC and the first one to win the open class. And he won ADCC twice and he won the super fight as well. So, I mean, like he he proved that that footlock game works. So people want to learn that, you know. So he sold very well. And the... Yeah, I think those two. Mm-hmm. Excellent. 
And yeah, so so like, are, are there are there any instructionals that you've watched yourself that you were surprised by, like how much you learned from them, or like where you're like, oh, I didn't know the guy did that that way. Anything that surprised you from the instructionals that y'all have produced? Man, there are so many great instructors, and uh, I always uh, watch the videos you now and. Uh, Sometimes I'm like, man, I gotta watch the last of these videos and work more in the business. <laughs> if not, I'm not gonna sell more videos because yeah. they they're amazing. You know, it's great. And uh, why we do is pretty simple. We take the best guys, put them in front of the camera, and that's it. You know, so mm-hmm. and uh, it's great to see like uh, th- th- this level of guys. You know, like we we always think about doing what we do in jujitsu in other niches, like. Uh, but it's harder, you know, because uh, in jujitsu. We can find the best guys, and then if you make a, if you try to make a basketball video, how are you gonna find the best guys? Mm-hmm. You know, like there's no way. You know, like uh, they don't want to do it. So, and uh, so it's I think that's what makes jujitsu amazing. You know, the fact that you, you can train with your idol. You know, you, you can you can go to New York and train for Marcelo Garcia. You know, like mm-hmm. you cannot do that in any sport. You cannot play golf with you know like. You know, Tiger Woods yeah, or Jack Nicholas or somebody. You can, but very, very few people in the planet, you know. Yeah, no, that, that's one of the things that I love most about jiu-jitsu is, like, you can watch the best in the world, the world champions. Exactly. Those folks can come to your town or you can go to their town and train at their school. and that's Exactly. But you, you mentioned something that I'm interested in, which is, like, you know, I know that y'all are branching out from just jiu-jitsu videos. One of the things that you and I talked about the other day is you mentioned that you're wrestling and training wrestling made a big difference for you in your game. And so I'm wondering when you started training wrestling and why you think that's so helpful. I started training wrestling in 2014 at Edge Hoboken. Uh, it's nearby New York City. And uh, I give all the credit to two guys, Jeff March, mm-hmm. that's the coach at Edge Hoboken, and Hudson Taylor, that was one of the students, one of the guys who used to go there at Edge Hoboken. I saw that guy, I was like, man, this guy is amazing. And then I convinced him to start jiu-jitsu, and nowadays he teaches wrestling at Marcellus. And uh, it's he, not fair to teach those guys yeah, jiu-jitsu, so not. Jeff is like so technical on wrestling, so he he could help me a lot. He's the mm-hmm. the coach at Edge Hoboken, so very thankful to him. And uh, Hudson, he holds the top five pin record division one in college, and he was three times all American. He's my weight. And man, it's like uh, he started doing jiu-jitsu two months later. He, he asked me and Marcelo, oh, man, I, I want to do the Pan Am's no gi. And then he was like, guys, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be. But should I do white or blue belt? And he was white belt, right? Because he had done two months. And I was like, man, that's a good question. <laughs> and then I checked with Marcelo. Marcelo, what should we do here? Should we do white or blue belt? And then Marcelo was like, Man, this guy doing white belt is not fair. You know, yeah. like, he he can hurt someone. He he can throw some white belt that doesn't know how to fall really well, and the guy can hurt really bad. So let do blue belt. Then he did adult division blue belt double gold, yeah. and then six months later, seven months later, words with gi, and he has trained gi like almost nothing. He won his division, killing everybody. So. It's another level of wrestling. So those two guys, Jeff March and Hudson Taylor, man, changing my game. And my game is a lot based on wrestling, right? Because it's single leg half guard, deep half guard many times ends up with double legs. And even like the passing that I do over under pressure passing, wrestling, I was driving, driving, driving. So helps the passing too. Mm-hmm. Have you guys done many wrestling, or have you done any wrestling instructionals with BJJ Super Deals or BJJ? We did with this guy Hudson, and man, it was, was sold very well because. Uh, because if you if you buy one wrestling DVD, 
you're gonna see wrestling for wrestlers. But Hudson, because he was doing jiu-jitsu and he was competing in jiu-jitsu, he made wrestling for BJJ. Mm. So he, he taught the wrestling that you have to learn for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm -hmm. And that's what, what the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guys need, right? It's this type of wrestling, you know, like, you don't want to pin your opponent. You want to take him down and, and, and then try to pass his guard, you know, but, for example, wrestlers don't take the back, so they turn on the knee and you cannot take the back and choke. So you don't want to learn that. That part, you, you want to skip it. Doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense. I mean, I, I wrestled in high school, and I would say wrestling is about eighty to ninety percent helpful for jujitsu, and like ten to twenty percent harmful because it's mostly amazing, right? Like, I agree. but like then you have the habits of like, oh, I can turn my back on the guy, and it's fine. You cannot do that. Don't <laughs> do that in jujitsu. <laughs> Don't do that in jujitsu. No. So, is Hudson's DVD or instructional that he made for you? Is that in the gi, or is it a mix? Is it gi and no? It's no gi. Mm -hmm. Yes, you know, it's no gi. We should do one if you give because he wanted to wear his gi as well. So, but that's no gi. Yeah, you know, one of the things I noticed when I when I came to jiu-jitsu having just a little bit of wrestling is like, because most jiu-jitsu, or many jiu-jitsu people have no wrestling background, and so my takedowns were, were ahead of where most of the jiu-jitsu guys that had never trained wrestling were. But once we got in the gi, guys that maybe had judo or maybe had really good grips were able to sort of stall out your takedowns because they can stiff arm you. I got it. And so I'd love, I'd love, I think a lot of folks listening to this would love some instructionals from good wrestlers that know how to also operate in the gi yeah no uh, the, the structure was amazing you know? I, I a bunch of times I I, I I take myself watching you know because it was great if you've listened to the podcast enough you know that I think everybody should try competing at least once but let's be real different competition experiences vary widely I wanted to mention that one of the white belts that I work with at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu in Durham just competed at U.S. Grappling for the first time, and he had a tremendous experience. This was not true of some of his earlier competition experiences, but thankfully he stuck with it. And thanks to everybody at U.S. Grappling for making customer service a priority and making sure every grappler that competes has a great time. You can check out upcoming tournaments at usgrappling.com and pre-register to save some money. So you're branching out, uh, you know, not just jujitsu videos, things like that. I'm curious about, like, where do you see that that business going? Like, you, you, you I think you mentioned that you're doing some self-defense videos now. And, yeah. Uh, so it's not just going to be jujitsu; it's going to be all of the above. We build on another website called Fanatic Self Defense mm. that we are selling self-defense videos, and uh, just because jujitsu is a is multi-tied niche, right? So we want to try to take these skills and go to other niches as well. But uh, the main thing so far is jiu-jitsu and the uh, self-defense. We are still trying to figure out like the, what 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 the audience need wants and what the audience needs need. And uh, but it's going well too. Yeah, I think that's smart. And like one of the issues that we always talk about on the show because you know I trained at a Hoist Gracie school and it's very self-defense focused. And I think a lot of the old school jiu-jitsu is really rooted in self-defense. But then you have other schools that are primarily competition schools that are just like, well, we want to teach competition according to the rules. And like I've always thought like the self-defense versus sport distinction is is mostly artificial yeah, because if, like if, if you're yeah. If I have a sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. If I had a kid, for example, a son right now, and uh, I will, let's imagine like he is in school and I'm worried about him being bullied or this and that blah blah blah. I think jiu-jitsu is the main thing, you know, like because uh, it's gonna give you the confidence. It's combative sport. You, he's gonna fight this and that. But in my opinion, like the best self-defense in the world, it's if you have jiu-jitsu and you have some knowledge about striking as well. That then you, 
that's the best self do you agree or yeah. what do you think yeah i think so i th- I, I think so because like the original gracie jiu-jitsu that that i learned and that hoist teaches incorporate striking and so i do so i, I definitely I agree. yeah yeah because for example all these guys who doesn't do jiu-jitsu and they want to criticize jiu-jitsu they always say the same thing right oh jiu-jitsu is awesome but if you are in one bar and the five guys fighting against you how are you going to use jiu-jitsu i kind of agree with that mm-hmm. i mean like if that's true if you were if you were in a situation that there there are a lot of people and you have to defend yourself mm-hmm. might be tough to use jiu-jitsu if if they're like 10 guys out there trying to so that's why I'm saying if I, if I had a son right now and I'm trying to build him the, man I'm just worried about him defending himself I would put him on jiu-jitsu right away mm-hmm. and uh, maybe for one or two years I would put him to do boxing once or twice a week just to make sure he knows how to strike mm-hmm. if you know how to strike and if you know jiu-jitsu You're only gonna worry about guns and knives. Yeah, right. <laughs> because someone trying to beat you up, maybe like on, on school, as you see, uh, we see every everywhere online that this guy is be- bullying the other one. And if you if you know jujitsu and you know striking, then th- nobody can bully you. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm also my other my self defense is also rooted in not trying to fight five other guys at once. So. Exactly. <laughs> no, my my best self defense is not not fighting at all. You yeah. know, like uh, I, I but but sometimes that can happen, right? Imagine like someone touch your wife. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you wanna you wanna do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> not gonna and the uh, or. It's important. It's important yeah. to know self defense. There are a lot of crazy people in this world. So, I mean, yeah. like, and one thing you said that, that like, so uh, this is what I always say to people that that ask me, well, you know, why do you do jujitsu as opposed to other martial arts? And I'm like, well, I really do feel like if you're gonna train only one, that jujitsu is the one. Now, if we had unlimited time, unlimited resources, right? Like, I love other martial arts. I would love to train everything. I would love to I wrestle agree. all the time. I would love I to agree. do more judo. But it's like, yeah, I think jujitsu must be a one because you're gonna really fight against your opponent you know he's gonna go against you you know like 100 there are a lot of martial arts that i really respect them I, i think they're useful too but they don't do the sparring you know like they they in the sparring they don't go hard and so you you never know how you were how you were doing you know like yeah so mm-hmm. i think jiu-jitsu is real you know it's a and you don't get hurt that's the most amazing thing is the i think it's the only sport in the world That's a combative sport that you can go hard if you are like over 35, 40 years old, you can still go hard. Mm-hmm. You know, wrestling would be tough to do once you are over like 35 or 40. Yeah. Judo falling all the time is gonna be hard too. Boxing, man, you don't want to get punched at 40 years old. <laughs> Muay Thai, same thing. So Jiu-Jitsu I think is the only one that makes sense. Definitely, it makes perfect sense. And so, like, I, I definitely think competing in jiu-jitsu is something, like, because you mentioned the confidence, which I think is really important, and the real-world sparring of, like, you know, I know jiu-jitsu techniques work because people are trying 100% to stop me from doing them. Exactly. And if they work, boy, boy, do they work. And so I'm curious, do you encourage people to compete as, like, a because I really think the, the heat of competition, the stress of it is something that folks should try at least once, and I'm wondering if you agree. I encourage, but I don't force it. You know, what I mean, it's something that you, you gotta come from you. You know, like if you if you like it, go ahead and do it. But if it's something that you don't want to do it, jujitsu is not only competition. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like there is way more stuff. Jujitsu is way beyond competition. Like, but I think competition is great to test yourself and to improve faster. 
Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Yeah. And on that note, you know, I'm curious. You, uh, uh, we were talking at dinner last night about some of the up and coming competitors that you know of, either from your team or from others. And I'm wondering if you have some names for folks to watch of like up and coming competitors on the scene that people may not know about. Yeah, I, I have the this kid who's gonna help me on my school, Mateus Gonzaga. He just won the New York Pro yesterday as a brown belt, and he won the words as a purple belt. He's very young. He's like 22, 23. And he's going to be training full-time on my school. So I'm very excited about him. And uh, in Brazil, there is one kid called uh, Vinicius Ferreira. His nickname is Tractor. And uh, he won the words as a brown belt in first year as a brown belt. And, man, I trained for him. I don't want to train for him again. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, super tough kid, you know. Like He's, like, short. He's probably, like, less than six feet. Mm-hmm. And uh, he might be, like, 5'8 or something. And 225 pounds and tough, you know. It sounds like you earned the nickname Tractor. <laughs> you know, so there are some good kids coming up from Alliance, yeah. Yeah, Alliance, obviously one of the most successful jiu-jitsu teams in history, and we've already mentioned some of the amazing names that you've gotten to train with, learn from, and compete with. And so I'm wondering, in, in the few minutes we have left, is there anything that I haven't asked about that you really wish I would have asked about or anything that you just wish the audience knew, either about you, about your school, about your team, about your training partners? I'm sure when we finish the interview, I'm going to remember something. <laughs> 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 but no, I'm joking. No, I, I, I think uh, we, we had a very good talking here. So. Most definitely. Well, um, like just one last question then, which is like, you know, we all, I, I think most successful people set goals and I'm you know you've and you've achieved as you say I think I really do think the dream of every jiu-jitsu competitor is to win the black belt world championship double gold to win the weight in the absolute that's a goal you've achieved so I'm wondering do you have future goals uh based around teaching or based around the other aspects of uh, I have a lot like uh, for my school for example as I said here before I'm building this school and I, I it's gonna be like a small nice location and I, and I don't want to have like 500 students there so my goal there is between 100 and 200 students. So I have this goal. I was like, man, I got to reach this number, you know, like between 100 and 200. And I want to have that that amount of students that I know every student very well. And uh, and I'm building my membership site soon. So I want to make that, that website grow too, to share the jiu-jitsu with the world as much as possible. So, yes, I have a bunch of goals. Like uh, I'm working towards them every day. That's why, like, uh, I don't use myself competing anymore you know because now i have other goals that i feel myself competing every day i wake up and oh man i gotta do this i gotta do that blah, 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 blah. So it's a competition again you know so yeah so yeah so that's it well it's really fun for for me to hear about the drive and the passion that you brought to jiu-jitsu competition now being directed into other areas and i really do think you have to go where your enthusiasm is and if you can commit 100 yeah. percent to something you yeah know. i agree yeah and i mean like building the school building all these websites it's a entrepreneurship life right mm-hmm. and being like entrepreneur and uh it's unbelievable how many in in temper- Interpre- how do I say entrepreneurs? Uh, entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs. Yeah. I have found that they are doing jiu-jitsu, you know. It's so many. Like, I mean, like, if you guys follow jiu-jitsu, like, for example, uh, Ching Ferris, <laughs> the one who wrote, he does jiu-jitsu. Uh, Marcelo's business partner, Josh Winston, he does jiu-jitsu. Uh, there's a lot, like, all these best guys. In Brazil, there's one kid that just came to Boston, like, 10 days ago. He built the app that came before Uber called Easy Taxi, and he's fanatic about jiu-jitsu right now, and now he built another app. 
So I think there is something related between jiu-jitsu and this entrepreneurship word. Because, uh, and I think I know what it is, you know, it's because jiu-jitsu, you, you are always like fighting, right? You, are, you, are, you, you go there and when you train hard, you, you have all that pressure. And when you are making business, doing this entrepreneurship word, that's the feeling, you know, you have all that pressure on top of you. You can't tap. You got to keep going every day. You are learning something new and you got to apply everything you learn. So I think that's the reason. Like, uh, and it's unbelievable. Like all these best entrepreneurs I know, they're all doing jiu-jitsu. For example, I heard that the owner of uh, Airbnb does jiu-jitsu. I heard that all these guys do jiu-jitsu. It's unbelievable. Like. Yeah, that makes sense. And it makes sense to me now that you say that, why there would be overlap. Because in addition to what you said, the, the cool thing about jujitsu and business, I think it's on a certain level, it's a team environment because you build a team. But on another level, the pressure is on you. And exactly. You know, you got to perform. Uh, exactly. And th that's like a, exactly the, the feeling, you know. And I think it comes back to that thing again. It's a therapy, you know, like when you were rolling, when you were training jujitsu. You don't think about anything else. It's just the, the guy trying to take your arm, the guy trying to check, get your neck. So it's a therapy. It's how to handle pressure, how to learn new things and apply, how to deal with problems. So I think there's a very big relationship between both. Well, you make a really good case. Uh, my guest is Bernardo Faria. He's a five-time Jiu-Jitsu world champion, also won double gold in the, of winning the Open Class at the Worlds, and now he's opening a new school in Boston, has a new Omoplata DVD out that we're going to be posting a link to in the comments for you to check it out. You can also see his work at bernardofaria.com, BJJ Super Deals, and BJJ Fanatics. Bernardo, thanks so much for taking the time to be in the studio. Thank you. appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jeff. It's a pleasure, and uh, congrats about the podcast. It's awesome. <laughs> thanks so much. Guys, this has been another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio. My name is Jeff Shaw. The co-hosts of the show are Betsy O'Donovan and Lourdes Cantu. We'd also like to thank our Patreon supporters, Chris Holmes, Cody Malte, Betty Broadhurst, and Carl Krebs. You can join them for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash dirtywhitebelt. We're going to be back at you next Sunday with another great show. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next Sunday. The first annual Dirty White Belt Radio Awards are coming. You can nominate people through December 1st, and after that, our panel of distinguished judges from up and down the East Coast is going to rule on who wins. But the best way to convince those judges is either writing in to cagesidewhoop at gmail.com, that's cagesidewhup at gmail.com, or call and leave us a voicemail at 360-389-2830 explaining why the people you want to win should win. So write to cagesidewhup at gmail.com or call us at 360-389-2830 and let us know who should win the Dirty White Belt Radio Awards. <laughs>